Welcome to BDO To Go, casual industry conversation brought to you by the restaurant industry professionals at BDO. The constantly evolving landscape of the industry forces operators and owners to adapt quickly and maintain a keen awareness of consumer and economic shifts. Understanding these business impacts and insights is key to the continued success and resilience of the restaurant industry. That's why we crafted our new BDO To Go podcast series, a monthly podcast that you can take to go. Now here's your host, Jeff Tuba. Welcome back to another episode of the BDO To Go Restaurant Podcast. My name is Jeff Tuba, and on behalf of all of us in the BDO Restaurant Practice, I just want to thank you for listening in to another episode. Please take the time to click the subscribe button to automatically download our episodes and also rate our podcast. We hope you enjoy all this content that you can take with you to go. Moderating today's podcast is Dana Zakowski from BDO, and our guest is Greg Creed from Yum Brands, who's going to share some information about his new book and some initiatives he's been involved in recently. Dana, I'll turn it over to you. Jeff, thank you so much. And as you mentioned, today we have Greg Creed with us, the former CEO of Yum Brands, who co-wrote a book, Red Marketing, The Three Ingredients of Leading Brands, with Ken Munch, who was the CMO of Yum Brands. So, Greg, thank you so much for joining us. And it's an absolute pleasure. Lovely to be talking to you. Yes. So, I always like to talk first about when I first met the person who I'm speaking to. So, I think, Greg, you and I first met at the Trinity Capital event. I guess it's now two years ago. And you spoke about red marketing and it's all of its ideas and it was wonderful. And I don't even know if at that point you had the book in mind or the book idea came after, but it was just so impressive. And I have a degree in marketing, so I felt like I was reading a really interesting school book, not one that I was like bored of. So thank you for that. So why don't you talk a little bit about your background and how you started the idea of Red Marketing, and then we can get into the book. Sure. So like you, my background in marketing, I mean, I ended up being a CEO, but you know, my early parts of my career were all in marketing. I worked at Unilever, then PepsiCo and Yum. And um, this, the idea for the book, which really didn't start as an idea for a book, it really started as about 10 years ago, Ken and I were working uh, together. He was at the agency and I was running Taco Bell. And um, we were trying to uh, really work on how do, we, how do we just make our marketing more, cons- how do we make it better and more consistent? And that was really just a Taco Bell. And Ken's one of those... I call him Mr. Dosecki. He's one of those sort of most interesting men in the world and um, incredibly smart, incredibly curious. And uh, we worked together and um, it was funny, at one stage, the agency that he was at um, were great at at sort of thinking, which is he was leading, but they weren't so great at executing. (laughs) And so I was going to move the the creative to another agency, so I suggested he and another friend set up a business. Uh, which they did, called Collider. And then when I became the CEO of Yum, I bought Collider back into Yum because the work that we'd been able to do at Taco Bell, I wanted to replicate around the world because Yum's got three brands now, four in 140 countries. And like anything of that size, you have great, you have average, and you have poor. And the framework for Red was really an attempt for us to hopefully make the poor good, the good great, and the great even better. So that's how it all sort of started. Well, that sounds fantastic. And again, you go into a lot more detail in the book and some of the stories about that beginning was really fantastic. So red marketing. So we know red, for those who have read the book or listened to you speak at all, is relevance, ease, and distinctiveness. And when you say it, it just sounds so obvious, but we all know if it was that obvious, we'd all be doing it. So you want to talk a little bit about 
how the actual term came up? Yeah, so it was funny because it, this is actually true. In the beginning, it was uh, relevance and distinctiveness. And then we realized that ease was becoming critically important and potentially one of the most important. And you're not going to believe this, but within YUM, it was called ERD. Anyway, one of the CMOs one day goes, uh, listen, if you're meant to be relevant, easy and distinctive, do you think you might want to call this red? Uh, yes. And we're like, oh, my goodness. Like, how, how obvious is that? So, yeah, so... It really, as I said, it, it came about because we were trying to find, if, again, if you're going to do things in 140 countries, you've got to keep it really simple. You, you have to keep this so, you know, really simple. And so um, what we sort of latched onto was this ultimate solution, which was look, if you make a brand relevant, and there's three parts to relevance, which we can talk about. Right. If you, if you make a brand easy and you make it distinctive, and then what we realized was, those businesses around the world within Young, where they were red, there was probably about a 95% chance of being incredibly successful. And when they weren't either all of the, all of the letters or some of the letters, we just had a much lower chance of success and we, we were being less successful. And so that's what we loved about it. And that was the reason we wanted to write the book. Well, Ken wanted to write the book, to be honest. Right. I, I didn't want to write it because I'd always said I'd never write a book and I'm also the world's worst speller, having never won a Scrabble match in my life. Um, but luckily, as you said, I retired and then COVID happened. And so I'm sort of like retired, COVID, and it was like the perfect time to write the book. So we wrote it uh, in early, you know, 2020. Um, that's right. Yeah, early 2020, we wrote it and then it got published, uh, you know, June this year. So it's been, a, it's been quite a fun ride. Yeah. And I think we all have to stop and think about what year we're talking about, right? Because we do have that all that COVID year gets a little confusing. <laughs> and just a little plug for how wonderful it is that you did write the book that all the money from the book does go to the Yum Foundation, which for scholarships for team members. So it's yeah, also that, so great. That was very important. I mean, what you know, if you think about it, Yum is letting us sort of give away some of the secrets, the secret recipe. Right. And and they were, and David Gibbs, who succeeded me as CEO, was incredibly generous. But both for Ken and I, this was never about making any money. This was sort of like paying it forward and just sharing a framework. And so, we are delighted that all the money goes to the Young Foundation. That's that. That is sort of part of what made it special. All right. No, it's fantastic. So back to Red. You started yeah. talking about relevance and how there's the two parts of it. Yeah. So there's um, so relevance is one of those. It's, uh, there's actually three parts to relevance, but so there's, there's what we call functional relevance, and there's this obvious part about you know a product's got to do what it's got to do. I mean, it's got to be able to deliver what it's got to deliver. But the other opportunity is, can you find what we call more consumer access points or usage occasions mm -hmm. um, where people can use use your product? So a good example is you know obviously Taco Bell you know is a fast food you know there's seven and a half thousand restaurants you can go to a Taco Bell. But what we also started doing was we actually produced nacho chips. So if you go to not every supermarket, but a lot of supermarkets in the U.S., you can now find, you know, mild, hot and fire Taco Bell chips. And so that was just another way for the brand to be used. You can also buy Taco Bell kits in, in supermarkets. And so this was just so functional relevance is about making sure you functionally work, but also finding new usage occasions for your product. Uh, the second one is what we call cultural relevance. And I think this, of all of the points, I think this is the one that's probably the most important and the one that if you get it right, it's like a huge wind in your sail. If you get it wrong, it's like an anchor dragging behind the boat. Yes. And um, 
I, I think that cultural relevance, a lot of businesses, a lot of brands, unfortunately don't pay as much attention to because they get caught up in what I call the better beats better syndrome, which is right. I make your shirt white, no, I make it whiter, no, I make it white. I mean, you know, I work at Unilever and the question was how white can you make a white shirt, right? At and some point, you're done. At some point, yeah. And the other thing is I don't think I've had this fundamental belief for a long time that we don't make what I call rational, functional decisions. I think what we make is unconscious emotional decisions. And so I'll give you, I'll give you two quick examples. Sure. Tell you what, what's the functional role of a watch? What would you say, David? To tell time. To tell the time. How much does it cost? How much do you think it would cost to, to buy a watch that sort of pretty much told the time fairly accurately? Probably you probably get one for like $5. Yeah, $5. <laughs> so the question is, why do we all wear watches that cost a lot more than $5? So that's the, that's the first one. Second one is, what's the functional role of a car? Why do you, why do you have a car? To drive to get to some place. Yeah, to get you from A to B. So if you drive a Rolls Royce and a Kia for one hour at 60 miles an hour, how far do both cars go? Answer, 60 miles. 60 miles. So yeah, so why do you buy a Rolls Royce? Because it's got... It's 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 all it's not about right. just getting from A to B and and an expensive watch. Now, I'm not saying these things are superficial. I'm not saying that if people have nice watches and people who drive nice cars, I'm not saying it's superficial. I'm just saying we need to acknowledge that we often do things more for emotional reasons than we do for what we'll call practical reasons. And so, if you're functionally only talking about the functionality of your product, uh-huh. and you don't talk about the the emotion of the product or the how it makes you feel or how it makes, how it sort of sits within culture. I just don't think you can be successful. Right. And so that became critically important. And in the book, there's a number of examples of where brands, you know, lost their cultural relevance. My favorite one is probably KFC in South Africa, you know, after Nelson Mandela was freed and apartheid went away. Um, you know, this bucket of chicken was this sort of galvanizing thing to bring all people together, the rainbow nation to come together. And KFC was incredibly successful in South Africa. And then what happened is we missed what happened is there's a cultural shift away from everyone coming together to young South Africans, black South Africans in particular, wanting to be independent, entrepreneurial and successful. Okay. And we kept, we kept selling the old, you know, gather the family around the bucket. And what had happened culturally was people wanted to be seen as the, the new Africa, you know, not the old Africa. Okay. And, and we missed that. We missed it completely, and the business suffered, and we sent a lot of people into South Africa to work out why wasn't it working, and did we not have enough pieces of chicken, and, you know, was the mashed potato not hot enough, all those functional things, and the answer was we missed, it, we missed a cultural shift, and then we put a new CMO in, we, we recognized the cultural shift, we became much more modern, urban, youthful, and sort of future-leaning, uh-huh. and, the, and the business just turned around, so it was a great example of cultural relevance. And then the last one in relevance is social relevance, which is, you know, are you basically, you know, I call it party talk worthy. Uh Are you kind of cool? Are you kind of cool? Exactly. (laughs) And so, you know, do you go to a party and people want to talk about your brand? And um, there's probably no better brand than Taco Bell that has done that sort of stuff. You know, they they bought the Liberty Bell. They've had pop-up hotels, you know, Forever 21, you know, clothing lines. I mean, you name it, they've done it. And what happens is you go to a party, and I even found out when I would go to a party, because you go to a party and you say, you run yum, and everyone goes, what the hell's yum? And you say, well, it's KFC, Pizza, and Taco Bell. And then everybody wants to tell you their Taco Bell stories, right? And so I think this idea of being relevant 
And then ease is also important because at the end of the day, humans are in inherently lazy. We're inherently lazy people. And so the easiest solution is the one that we're winning. We even coined the phrase easy beats better, which a lot of people were like, oh, whoa, whoa, you can't be saying that. But the point is the functional difference between products these days, like what, what is the functional difference between a BMW and a Mercedes? Uh, there's probably none, right? They're just both amazing cars. And so this whole idea of who's making it easy, and obviously the poster child for this is Amazon. Well, I was just going to say, I am currently furnishing a, a house and every day I'm like, I'm not going to use Amazon today. I'm going to go support my local hardware store and yeah. without fail. Yes. At one point during the day, Amazon is used. Exactly. Maybe more and, than once. And the other thing I think people have to realize is sometimes people say, well, I'm easy within my category. So let's take, you know, I ran Pizza Hut for a while uh -huh. and Domino's. The issue isn't, is Domino's easier than Pizza Hut or is Pizza Hut easier than Domino's? The question is, are they easier than Amazon? Because as consumers, we don't compartmentalize, oh, it's, is it easy within the pizza category? No, if we go, if Amazon's the easiest, right. then that's how we judge everything. And so I think, you know, is it easy to order? Is it easy to pay? Is it easy to get? Is it easy to use? Um, all of those things are critically important. And then distinctive is, you know, of what the word says, but the interesting thing about distinctiveness is, are you consistent? You know, I mean, it's that's sort of like as an oxymoron. Why would you be? You need to be consistent to be distinctive because often people walk away from the things that make them distinctive. And one of the other things we, we had this great debate about, which we put in the book, is about does every brand need a social purpose? I mean, a, um, a, like a purpose, like a social purpose. And our answer was no. Though everyone is pushing every brand has to have a social purpose, and so we decided to be provocative and say no. And the answer is unless that purpose makes you distinctive. So there, there are brands like Patagonia, you know, uh, Oatly, even Dove. Those brands are actually distinctive because of their social purpose. Ben and Jerry's, you would argue, is is also distinctive. Absolutely. So, so our point of view is you can have a social purpose, but only if it makes you distinctive. But if the big, if the number one brand or, you know, one of the big brands has got it, it, it sort of owns the social purpose of the category, don't try to be the number, you know, 15 brand doing, so you know, social purpose. It's not going to work. Right. No, and that was an interesting chapter in the book. When you started talking about that, I was like, wait, I feel like everyone has a social purpose. Then once you read it and comprehend it, you're like, no, you might yeah. have one, but it doesn't have to be the leading factor of your exactly. brand. Exactly. We're also not saying that companies shouldn't have a social purpose. There's a difference right. between, like, does in, in my case, does Yum need a social purpose? Absolutely. Right. But does every brand need a social purpose? Not necessarily, right, unless it makes you distinctive, right? Uh -huh. And so, and then the other, the other thing that came up in the book, and it came from when Ken and I were traveling the world when I was still working, is the key thing you've got to understand is which of those three letters is your issue? Because I would visit markets that were incredibly, you know, where the brand was incredibly distinctive, but they would be doubling down on distinctiveness and not fixing relevance and ease. Or, you know, you'd go to a market where the brand was relevant and distinctive, but it wasn't easy. And so, you know, part of it is also understanding of the three letters, you know, relevance, ease and distinctive, which is the one that I need to focus on. And the biggest challenge is if you're missing all three, you can't start with all three. Like, right. if, your, if your brand isn't relevant, easy and distinctive, don't try to do all three. Um, I always felt that if your brand wasn't relevant, easy, and distinctive, 
the first thing was to make it relevant. Okay, make I was going to say find a new job. Yeah, well, probably find <laughs> a new job. If you're the if you're the CMO, you probably need to find a new right. job. But if you go in as the new CMO, right. um, I think what you've got to do is is make the brand you know relevant. And it, it's funny because honestly, I saw a lot of brands that were R and E and not D, or R and D and not E, and all that sort okay. of stuff. And and just making sure you're working on the right things because. Even if you know the letters, if you're working on the wrong thing, you're not going to get your brand to grow. Right. And I know you started before when you said how you started at Taco Bell, and there really is no better example of someone who's done marketing right than Taco Bell. I mean, the just the brand itself. It's like if you're a 20, what are you geared towards, 28-year-olds? Yeah. Right? Don't you gear towards a certain age group? Yeah. It's sort of the muse. I always call it the muse is like a, 23-year-old male. Mm -hmm. Now, uh -huh. that's not the target audience because, you know, the brand's sort of from like 7 to 70. But if you sort of said, what's the muse of Taco Bell? And it was funny because we actually asked a bunch of questions, which was we asked people who were, you know, teenage, early teenagers and in their 20s and 30s. And we asked people, if you could remain one age for your entire life, what would it be? And the answer was about 23 because you weren't a child, you were an adult, you weren't in school, you were sort of working, you had independence. And so it's sort of like everyone's sweet spot. And to your earlier point, um, when I meet people, even when I was just running Taco Bell, I meet people, they would, their first line was, when I was in college. Right. I would always get the, well, when I was in college, and then I'd get their, their Taco Bell story. So to us, it was like this 22, 23-year-old, a sweet spot. Now, here's what's really interesting. Because it is 22 or 23, you've got to make sure the brand evolves so that as it generationally shifts, you can't be the 23-year-old from the 1990s. You have to be the 23-year-old right. from 2021, right? So right. that's the other important thing is brands can't stay stagnant. They can't go, wow, this positioning is really successful and I'm really, I'm really doing well. I'm just going to stay here and milk it because right. what will happen is you work out that you're not socially relevant, you're not culturally relevant, all those things will move. So the great thing about building brands is you've, you've got to be nimble, you've got to be adaptive, and you've got to change. You cannot afford to stand still. Right. And when you're looking to bring on people to that team, and yeah. I know you bought the firm, so that's a good, a good start, yeah. right? If you want it and you can buy yeah. it, just do it. But... Then you talked about having them live, you know, not opening and putting them in the major city and putting them, you know, where it was a little easier for them to be who they were and to be, again, creating the relevance by having a music studio in the building and by having, yeah. surrounding yourself with people like who you want to attract. Yeah, because if you think about it, if you think about how, particularly how culture is defined, uh -huh. and so even though you're a fast food brand, you, that's, that's not, you have to get your inspiration from the, from all cultures and from all walks of life. And, um, you know, I used to say to people, we weren't a restaurant company, we were a marketing company selling food, right? Right. And I think if you approach it in that sense, then things like music and art and literature, um, you know, as, as we say in the book, you know, Ken spends a lot of time talking to poets and authors, um, anthropologists. It's, you know, that's where you find, that's where you find, sort of where things like culture and social are moving. You know, you, if, you want to, if you want to see what happened in the past, go talk to a historian, but that's right. not the future, right? So that, that's all stuff is really important. 
Yeah, no, and I just, again, going back to Taco Bell, one of the, and I'm sorry, I just keep going there, but it's just, I'm always fascinated by it. When you guys had a shift, like what you were saying, from the, from the dog campaign to the Live Moss campaign, like that yeah. was a huge cultural shift for you guys or yeah. for the company. Yeah, no, we, we had come up with the, the tagline, think outside the bun, right? And everyone right. loved think outside the bun and it sort of positioned us against the Burger Boys. And I remember going to see my boss at the time, David Novak, who was running Yum! And I went to see him and I said, look, we're going to move away from think outside the bun to live Mars." And he was like, you're the biggest idiot on the planet. <laughs> you're doing it. And I said, because food had moved from fuel to an experience. Right. And I said, when food was fuel, and that's how people considered uh, food, then think outside the bun was the perfect tagline. But now that food is an experience, and this was in the early days of social media and obviously half the photos are all about food. And I said to him, but now that food's become an experience and food is what you used to tell the world who you are, then we can't be thinking outside the bun. We had to move to live mass, right? Uh -huh. And and he, he obviously got on board and he agreed, but as I said, that cultural shift from food as fuel to food as an experience forced us to move away from what David always thought was the greatest tagline ever, <laughs> outside the bun, to live mass. But he understood that in order to remain culturally and socially relevant, we had we had to make that shift. And uh, and one day in the future, they'll have to move off Live Mars because there will be another cultural shift that will necessitate them doing it. And that's why you can't get hung up with, oh, I love this tagline, it's always worked, right. or whatever you get hung up with, you can't get hung up with it. You have to pay attention to what's happening in both, certainly in culture and in the social space. Uh Right, we don't know anyone who has a tattoo that says "Think outside the bun," but definitely live mass tattoo. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Which is well, think always think so strange. Think outside the bun would be a long one. No, that's right. Really <laughs> exactly. Um, well, I think. I mean, this is always so interesting. And again, as someone who loves marketing, I loved it. If you had to think, is there a marketing campaign that you've seen recently that just makes you say, "Wow, they really hit it." Yeah. Have you seen the progressive one where they said, "Don't act like your parents"? You know the. Yes. Where they, where the guy is like teaching, you know, um, uh, millennials to not be their parents. Uh -huh. I, th I think that is so both culturally relevant and socially relevant. It is so spot on uh -huh. because you know I'm now in my early sixties and I sit there and I go, "Yep, there was that moment when I said, oh my god, I just sounded like my dad,' right?" And yes. um, it, it's it's humorous, but I think it's true. It's what happens, and so um, you know, there's obviously a lot of great campaigns out there, but I think. That campaign is probably one that most demonstrates they sort of culturally get it. Um, and then to bring it to life, I think for an insurance company, which, you know, let's be honest, is not that exciting, no. um, is I think brilliant work. So that's the one at the moment that I think is, it's sort of top of mind for me. Okay. No, I think it's great too. And as the, what would be the younger person in the ad? As I'm going through what I'm going through now, every so often I'm like, oh my God, I've officially become my mother. Oh, I know. I, I love the one where he says, um, you know, who wants to open the PDF? And we're like, whoa, no. I right. I don't want to open the PDF, right? And the guy who's bought the same shirt and he's going to buy the same shirt. Right. And I'm, how many times I've, I've done it, I'm like, I really like this shirt. And then it sort of starts to wear out. Well, I'll just buy the same shirt. And you go, right. oh, my God, I really am becoming my father, right? So Easy. anyway. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So that's great. But Greg, thank you so much. I think this was wonderful. I so appreciate your time. 
everyone who's listening, definitely check out the book because not only is it a great read, but also, like we said earlier, all the scholarship, all the money goes to the M Foundation for scholarships for team members. And that's really it. And I look forward to seeing you hopefully soon in real life. Yeah, hopefully we'll catch up in real life. And thank you yes. for having me on. And thank you for endorsing the book. It's it's It has been a passion and I'm, I'm glad I finally, you know, decided to overcome my reluctance and write it with Ken. So thanks for having me. I really appreciate okay. it. Thank All you. Right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to BDO To Go. Past episodes and related insights are available at bdo.com slash bdo to go. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, share, or subscribe to this podcast. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on BDO's restaurant industry practice and the resources we provide, visit www.bdo.com slash restaurants.